0: Hey, how's it going? It's going. It's going. Was, it's was, going. Uh, it's such a weird year, but I I want to talk about the opportunities created by the government-created crisis that we're in. But uh, I was listening to your new podcast, vodcast, video, whatever that is. <laughs> for Canon's sake, you just went daily.
1: Yeah, I just went daily on it. Um, it started as a deal that I was doing, like you know, maybe even once a week, and I'd get a guy for an interview or something like that. But with this whole opportunity, really, this within this year, um, I've grown as a commentator and I've seen a lot of growth from it. Me having my positions on the pandemic and everything else. And I was like, why don't we just try to move it to a daily format? Um, and it's a lot of work, but I think it's worth it. It's given me a lot of material to get out to those guys and, and be able to talk about various subjects, because me being involved in 100 million things is always something coming up. And sometimes I don't get a chance to, or before at least, don't get a really chan- good chance to talk on everything. Well, I not having the show daily, um, it's a great opportunity for me. But mo- most importantly, I can touch on basically everything. Yeah. Um, if I didn't get to it today, I can get to it on the next show. So, yeah. you know, it's working out.
0: Yeah, and like new bad shit happens every day. Bingo. And if you're talking about yesterday's bad shit, you're ignoring tomorrow's. So I don't know.
1: <laughs> there <you> it's go. <laughs> it's it's
0: kind of messed up. But you were you were talking about uh, vaccines and how they're going to have to to strap you down and incarcerate you to get you to take a mandatory vaccine. And I think mandatory is is the operative word there. But <laughs> I, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, I mean you're you're a musician, and 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 the lockdowns have probably specifically undermined your business model, but it was about a month ago Variety Magazine published this article about Ticketmaster's plans mm-hmm. to have built into their app whether or not you can prove that you're vaccinated. And I was like, that's the last show I'm going to. Yeah. Just, not, just on principle, yeah, right? Yeah, on
1: principle, and I wouldn't I wouldn't want to perform at any show like that. You know, I would not want to show up at any venue that will require that sort of nonsense. And when we talk about this and the vaccine, you think if the vaccine is supposed to work in, in, in the way that it's intended, it wouldn't even matter if you or I weren't vaccinated, if you're right. vaccinated. Right. But for whatever reason, we're going down this direction of um this sort of mandatory. Va- and, it, and it's mandatory going to be rather mandatory in a sense in which I, I actually think they're going to more so force the businesses, whether it be coming from the government, they're going to force the business or so county judges doing that, whoever. Forcing the business is the you own a facility where people get together, doesn't matter. They're going to expect you and they're going to try to punish you if you own that. And obviously, the individual is going to suffer because of that, because then they pass that on to um, their constituents or their consumers or whoever. And they say, Hey, if you guys want to go here, Questions that we got guns held to our ha- hairs that are saying you guys have to have your papers. And it's yeah. getting really freaky about this stuff because they're already talking about literal paper card carrying like actual papers that show that you're uh, vaccinated. That's coming from uh, the federal government, which is free beyond freaky. But that's sort of the world that we live in. Yeah, right?
0: you'll have papers. Uh, Thomas Massey sort of uh, very sarcastically tweeted. We were promised a chip, <laughs> meaning a chip in your body. <laughs> yeah that the government could scan to make sure that you had complied. And, and he's, he's pointing out the fact that the infrastructure of, of being able to sort of monitor like the minutia of people's health records and contract tracing where they know where you went, who you went with, and when you went, um, this is the infrastructure that China created with their social credit system. And nobody's, nobody's freaking out except us whack job libertarians. <laughs> We're like, people, please pay attention to this.
1: It's been a for the course, for the entire year, right? For the libertarians. You know, uh, we've talked about that with Sarah, of course, Gonzalez over at News and Why It Matters. It's like, she's like, it feels like this year is like the year for libertarians. This whole year we've been like, like what? Pay attention, you know, and. I had the fortunate, I was fortunate to be ahead of this, right? Uh, Back in March, February going into March. And I was talking about how if you didn't remain principled in March, it was going to get worse. That was the time if we were going to be able to rein this in. That was the time that people had to say, absolutely not. But unfortunately, you scare a couple of people and that's all it takes. And then 15 days to slow the spread turned into. December. Yeah. And here we are. Mask mandate. Well, we'll let you we'll let you uh, we won't force any lockdowns and any restrictions if you just wear the mask and then you got both of them, you know, like yeah. a can got kicked down the road again. So that's it's been the year of the, the, the libertarian. Like we're, we're starting to get to those like I was reading when I was reading the whole uh, that article that was talking about the the card carrying va- like it almost sounds like this sort of breakdown of going in you know, up I'm a Resident Evil guy, right? I'm yeah. a big time gamer, big time Resident Evil. And it's almost like I'm reading like the the, the main story going into like the future is like this is what the government did like setting up the scene for the the plot of the game. Right. And it's really freaky to read that. But like you said, we bring it up and they act like we're the crazy ones that are like, dude, this is this isn't right. Um, and this is going to create a lot of issues, more particularly, more conflict, unfortunately, with law enforcement officers, which it supposedly people cared about, I thought they did, post-George Floyd.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've, I've always uh, really leaned into uh, my libertarian principles and, and my understanding of Austrian economics, particularly when you don't know what the hell's going on. Yeah. And that, that's the whole point of a bottom-up freedom-based system is that you know the entire purpose of allowing people to be free is the the fact of life is that you don't know the future mm-hmm. and it's particularly uncertain when this new virus shows up and and nobody knows what it is and some people are saying this one's different this one's this one is is wildly more dangerous than the last um, ten iterations of this virus and to me that's a good time you remember the mantra at the time was there's no libertarians in a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> But it's the opposite is true. Um, the, the less you know, the more you lean on, on freedom and innovation and people making choices and, and struggling to figure things out. And that, that, of course, is the opposite of what we did. But it, it makes us look, I go back to the things I wrote in March, and it makes me look smarter than I am.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Beca- right. Because
0: I was able to lean on those principles. And I, I, didn't, I didn't look at it from an epidemiologist's point of view, because I don't I don't know anything about that, mm-hmm. um, but I knew, do know something about economics and I know about, about opportunity costs. And if you do this, you can't do that. And if you do this, you're going to shut down that. And you know, hopefully at some point people start waking up and saying, wow, this is, this is going to be devastating to our economies and, and our economies are what fuel... Our, our food and our healthcare system yeah. and all the things that keep people healthy and safe.
1: Most definitely. And that's what was so frustrating for me watching this whole thing play out and and seeing back in March and the first go-to thing that people want to do was just shut down everything. I, I particularly took issue with what was the gyms, right? And I'm knowing what we knew even back then about the virus. I mean, we had the numbers coming out of Korea and even China that it said, you know, these types of people were dealing with it the worst. If you were in this age bracket or you were in this health status, you were generally fine. But these other people with these comorbidities, particularly with have been with obesity and all these other issues. Like the first thing you take out is they felt like was not essential for people in gyms. And I say this as a former collegiate athlete, as a as a as a guy who you know my first career before all of this was the gym industry, and it's so frustrating. To see, because a lot of those guys are franchise owned A lot of those are small business owners, and for them to say that, and then it's hard. It has to be difficult for them, trainers and whatnot, to have to look their, 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 you know, customers in the eyes and say, "Look, well, we can't, we can't do this anymore." Yeah. Even though this would help you deal with this virus better, yeah. they said that we were not essential. And it goes to show that once it comes from the top, you get these handful of some of these guys are unelected um, guys. were making decisions on behalf of millions upon millions of people. This one size fits all issue. And that's your, you're perfectly putting it. You're putting it perfectly when it comes to back to Austrian economics. The thing that benefits us is that we know that no one individual could possess that power or possess that knowledge even to dictate what millions upon millions of people could do or should do. There's no way they could do that. We're individuals. We're all, we're all different. What maybe works here, you know, we got New York City, for example, and how they live is vastly different from how we live out here. So why would we try to apply this one size fits all uh, uh, thing or, or an application and we know that that's not generally how it works. So most definitely, it certainly made me look way smarter than what I did because I was talking about that sort of stuff that the one size fits all was always an issue. But that's only because we're leaning back on our libertarian and particularly our economic principles, because we know that we, we don't know. And this is why, uh, you know, the economists that are generally on our side, we, we they bring that up. It's like there's no way that these guys could make decisions on behalf of. Of millions upon millions of people, so why would we not leave it up to the market?
0: Yeah, I mean it's it, it's it's very simple. I mean you you could get deep into Austrian economics, but there's two principles. One is Austrian, and and one is is sort of classical liberal, I guess. One is about knowledge, and the second one is about power and power corrupting. Lord Acton: Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And and early in the pandemic, I was more worried about the knowledge problem, um, and and Hayek would call Uh, Governor Cuomo's decisions a fatal conceit. And and like some you wouldn't know, like you you don't necessarily understand that by clearing out hospitals to take on all of this new traffic, you're actually going to bankrupt hospitals and undermine your, like that takes a sophisticated economic understanding to know that, that those consequences were going to happen. But you should have known that hurting sick people into nursing homes in New York City was murderous. Yeah, I you know. should have known that if one of the comorbidities of of COVID is obesity, shutting down gyms and prohibiting people from walking outside, this this was a thing. It is a thing. I think the Mayor of LA just did this again. Yeah. Um, so there's there, there's there's the stupid part, and I think that gets to the second thing. It's not stupid. It's power. Yep. It's about controlling people, and these guys are now. Um, They're feeding off of this power. I mean, there's a Star Wars analogy here somewhere. (laughs) Uh, They're feeding off of this power and they just love it. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Put on a mask.
1: They're 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 basking in it, and in a lot of different industries, those guys that are at the top, they're basking in this attention. This was um this was why why was always a mistake. Even when we talk about the numbers and look, there's too many examples of 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 that. We don't have to go into full conspiracy theory. Like we know confirmed like instances where people that died of like motorcycle accidents had been lumped in with these numbers. Like, look, you know, the state had given them this sort of uh, incentive to do that when you, hey, we're going to give you money. That's cash. Yeah, you yeah. know, in the event that this is how you document it. So, of course, that was going to muddy up uh, the numbers. And these are things that created created issues that came from And This is why I always have to say when we talk about be it our industry and the music industry or anything. I don't want to say the virus did it. I got to say the government did it. And and, and because that's what happened. You know, it's what it's it came from from them. Like we knew what the well, maybe we didn't know everything about the virus, but we knew what it was doing. They decided to go their route, no matter how loud we were saying, stop this, do not do this. This is going to create larger sort of issues. You cannot just sit up here and think that the economy is a light switch where you can just say off like that and then everything's going to be fine and say okay back on and everything that's not how it works we're talking about literally thousands upon thousands of businesses that are not getting on the other side of this like there's no we're coming back they're done yeah. they've 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 hung it up yeah. and that sucks and 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 it is a lot of folks that are basking in this sort of power that they present themselves it's like what i say is they generally mask for lack of better terms their their uh, authoritarianism with this sort of fraud humanitarian effort which is almost part of the course for almost every single big time, whether it be dictator, violent regime, they don't generally come about by sitting here saying, yeah, I want to kill you. That's not how it generally happens. Usually it's like, I want to take care of you. I care about my people. I care about uh, this country and all of that. And then that's when bad things generally happen. That's how you get famines. That's how you get these sort of uh, things that come by way of this uh, centralized sort of power, um, which is what we're seeing way too much of today.
0: Yeah, uh, politics and good intentions together are deadly. Yeah, they, you know? I want to go back a step because this is something that drives me nuts. And and uh, I'll start with our our, our friend. I, I don't know if you know him. Anthony Davies is is a free market economist, and and he found this CBO letter that he sent to me, estimating that the cost of COVID, and they never say the cost of lockdowns. They say the cost of COVID. Um, between 2020 and 2030, so the next 10 years, is $15.7 trillion just in the United States. Wow. And he, like, it's, it's impossible to conceive of what that number means. Um, um, so, what, what Anthony did is he said, to put that in context, we could buy Spain. Spain goes for about that much money, the whole thing. Not just, we're not renting. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Uh, we're not borrowing, we're buying an entire country. And the, the thing that drives me crazy is the insistence in the media and in government agencies and, and now politicians. They're all saying, this wow, this is going to be really costly. But they blame the pandemic yeah. and not the government action. And I went back to 1968, 1969. Um, and this goes back to music as well. I'm a big deadhead. I love the Grateful Dead. And I was, I was angry that they had canceled their tour, that Bob Weir Dead and Company still tour this year, or still tour, and they canceled their tour this year. I'm like, hey, the Grateful Dead didn't do that in 1968, 1969, and the Hong Kong flu came in through San Francisco yeah. from from uh, soldiers coming back from Vietnam. It, 1968 was the hotbed for the Hong Kong flu. Um, it eventually migrated um, over to Europe in 1969. And the Grateful Dead, in the midst of a pandemic, the Rolling Stones, in the midst of a pandemic, Led Zeppelin, in, a, in the midst of a pandemic, played all of these concerts in the San Francisco Bay era, area. Era, area. Um, the Dead played like 70-something. And... Um, I think if you go back, I haven't done this, but I think if you go back and look at the economic impact of the Hong Kong flu, um, this one's worse mm-hmm. it's not It's not substantially worse, but this one is definitely worse. Um, there is no economic impact yeah. so I do think I, I think that restaurants in particular and entertainment would be hurt by a pandemic and people's fear of going out and all of that. But is it five percent, ten percent? it's just it's, it's just it w- a small slice of it
1: yeah it wouldn't be anything like what we're seeing now because you've made it illegal essentially illegal for them to be able to perform like people are like hey where's the next backwards album well we to put a sophomore album out and not be able to get on the road it's career suicide.
0: So you guys have been sitting on yeah, your new we're just album.
1: sitting on the music right now that we love to give to you guys, but it doesn't make sense. And there's a lot of guys that are doing that now. Unfortunately, I can do stuff like this, and you know, uh, but a lot of musicians can't. And I wish that we had more of that that sort of mindset back, like you know, back then that w- if we had it today. I think the nanny state has grown so much where now everybody expects the government, and uh, really, it's like they give the the musicians in a lot of cases, celebrities, the marching orders. And then they go preach that stuff to their, their fan base. Instead of folks being like, okay, we see this is wrong. The data doesn't add up that what you're saying was going to happen. Didn't happen. We're going to get back to our lives. And I would have loved to see some sort, I would love to see some, uh, some people sort of push, push back uh, in that regards and be more vocal about this is, this is not, this is a problem. And I've said time and time again, I've said this on many shows on the blaze that, Look, this may not even end until there's a mass form of civil disobedience, because they feel like they can get away with whatever it is that they they want. And maybe that's what it's going to take for a lot of us to just be like, you know what, we're going to do what we're going to do. And, yeah, maybe the the first wave of us may catch the brunt of this and some of us may have to go to jail, but when you understand how continuously kicking the can down the road is going to make this worse and worse upon people. We're seeing it right now and it finally after forever, the WHO even had, you know, had come out and said, okay, using lockdowns as your primary measure of containing this this virus, you probably shouldn't do that. Because it's leading to more issues, Uh, definitely when even definitely countries in terms of like that are that rely upon a lot of people traveling, for example. Um, And, you know, they don't get that money. You know what I mean? Like tourism money and stuff like that. Like you're talking about an economic impact that God, those elites, for whatever reason, uh, be it purposely, they're just evil or they're stupid they can't see it and they don't understand the economic impact of what it is they're doing. And it's not even an equal trade off. It's not even worth it. Uh, when you consider that the survivability rate of this, of this virus versus the utter destruction of our economy that we're doing right now and making it worse and worse and worse and worse, it was not an equal trade off, but libertarians tried to warn you. We did.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, and I told you, so doesn't feel that good. The, uh, the World Health Organization, I, I read this on, on one of my shows, there's a, there's a shocking passage in a fairly new report from the WHO that predicts, estimates, the number of the, the, the massive increase in infant mortality mm. and starvation and all of these metrics that, that we were quite proud of just a year ago that, that, that free markets had, had lifted so many people out of poverty globally and we don't really see that so much in this country. We're we're an incredibly wealthy nation, and and so far we're sort of sort we're, we're we're not. Unless you are a gym owner or a restaurant owner or a bar owner, you're probably not feeling it as much as you are if you're in a country that was just at the margin of keeping people fed. Yeah. And if, and I think that's probably why they reversed their decision. But you know, it's we're almost a year in now.
1: It's too late, too late right? <laughs> the,
0: the damage is done. Like, like that $15.7 trillion, it doesn't come back. Mm. We can climb out of that hole, but that is still a permanent loss in the American economy, and I'd love to see a global number for that. I, it, it would be catastrophic. And, and I wanted to I – I, before uh, we did the show, I, I went um, and found a column from April from, from our me- mentor, Walter Williams, and we just lost him a couple days ago. And I know he's he's a huge part of, of why you're here today, intellectually. And I saw you you tweeted a picture that you had with him. You had this big shit-eating grin on yeah, your face. Yeah, man, so, I, was,
1: I don't know if I've ever smiled that hard on anything yeah. that day. That was, that was a big day for me, man. Like, seriously, I... When I talk about a milestone, like that was a milestone for me, and and
0: where was that? Was that at a?
1: That was at a speaking engagement at SMU. Yeah, um, that he had had, and I said that uh, I was going to make it. There was no way I wasn't. They had emailed me, said they knew that I liked. I uh, was a big Walter guy. I was like he's going to be out here. You should come on through. I came on through, and it's hilarious because you know because it's Walter E. Williams. You have these libertarians and conservatives there, and after he speaks, I'm trying to walk to the. I'm walking down the aisle to try to get to him, and you got all these people coming up to me, and they're like, "Hey, is Eric July? Would you mind taking a picture?" Blah blah. blah. I'm like, "Yeah, I guess," but like, I'm trying to get the how y'all view me. I view this man, yeah, and I'm trying to get to him, and I finally got to him, and it was to me for me to be able to just tell him, like I was telling him, like this is what you meant to me. Like there is no. Seriously. Like there's no I don't go down this route had it not been for Dr. Walty e. Ways. Of me to be able to just tell that man that and what he what he meant to me it meant it, it meant the absolute world and I was caught by a shock because he didn't know it was me, but he knew of me. So once I started telling him what it you know, we were having this conversation, he's like, Oh, you're you know, we this guy you do music and we know about you and i was like, Oh wow, that's a big that's a big deal, uh, certainly to me, but more importantly, I wanted to tell that man what exactly he, he had meant yeah. and the legacy that he's leaving regardless because, uh, like I said, with me, there is, no, there is no Eric July, Lee Libertarian without Dr. Walti E. It doesn't exist.
0: Yeah. So he was such a badass that he taught his class, Don Boudreau, George Mason University professor, and, and a friend of mine, a friend of Walter's. Um, uh, Walter taught his class the night before and passed away the next day. And, and Thomas Sowell actually wrote a piece saying, Walter said, that's how I want to die. Yeah. That's badass. Yeah, man, doing, doing what it was that he did. And he's like 84, yeah. um, still teaching his class, had that passion for, for turning young people onto these ideas. And apparently it was Milton Friedman that convinced him to start writing his column. And Milton said, if you can't say it in 800 words, you probably don't actually understand it all that well. And if you've ever tried to, to write something, I started off as an academic where the title of the, of the damn piece was longer than 800 <laughs> words. And uh, to me, that's like the, the, the real takeaway from Walter to me is um, he was able to explain in simple English and simple stories, very complex problems. And he, he wrote a piece on, on COVID in April, again, way back before anyone else had, had sort of figured out what the consequences were. And it was a simple story about opportunity costs. If we do all of this stuff, there's going to be consequences for doing that. And the, you know, the, the challenge, I guess, is that so few people um, think about the world through basic economic principles. It's not how their minds work. We're, we're weird because we, <laughs> cause we, cause we do Cost-benefit, right. um, I do cost-benefit on everything. It drives my wife crazy, but <laughs> um, that was, um, and he, he did that to apartheid, he did that to um, a lot of well-meaning policies or or supposedly well-meaning policies that have held the black community down in the United States. And and was that your gateway? Was it the State, state against, against Blacks? State Against Blacks, hands
1: yeah. down. That was, the, that was obviously the gateway, gateway in. Particularly and probably most specifically the minimum wage and Walter E. Williams approach to that and never had I before heard it in a way in which he had worded it, in which, you know, you you look at how it had been used historically even to price black people out of the market. And still to this day, he was and he was talking about this decades ago Uh, and still to this day, we can still see the sort of impact of those in which you have people going to these rotten schools, right? They have absolutely no chance in getting valuable skill sets in those environments, but if they work, they could. And what those particular policies do is they don't allow them to make it illegal for them to work. And to hear it worded in a way that he did, had, had worded it, and even obviously apartheid South, South Africa, it's the same thing. And he had said that it had histori- like, historically been the greatest tool you know, of the races and, and, and to hear him worded in a way that he were, he's just, he's a genius, you know? And, and it's unfortunate that a lot of people don't know about him and don't know who, who he is because you'd be surprised. It's almost like Walters. And we talked about Thomas, Thomas is the South. I keep saying there's two guys who uh, made me and that's, he's the second one. Right. And both of them had that knack for talking about things before I was even, I was born, I'm a young guy. I was born in 1990. Before I was even born, these guys are talking about this stuff, and to see it coming to fruition almost exactly how they said it would is, is phenomenal, and all they're using is just fundamental uh, basic approach to to economics, and that's what the greats, and this is why I, I, I was I, – went down this road because of economics and understanding and breaking the world down like that before I thought it was just moving numbers around and stuff, but it's not definitely when you come from more Austrian side, where you talk about this study of human action and, and and understanding it like that just made the world around me make so much more, more, more sense. And it would, i believe if you get to your position by way of reason, if you read the likes of the Dr. Walter, the great Dr. Walter E. Williams, then you'd know a little more about a little more.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And all you have to do is, is go back and read a little bit of history about um, the, the, the racist apartheid government in South Africa. Two things they did very early on that I've, that I've sort of tried to get people to pay attention to is they passed a law that said that white people couldn't marry black people, um, which was really kind of the beginning of the government uh, marriage licenses. Like, yep. like, why do we have to go to the government for permission to get married? Well, it turns out it was a racist policy. Um, but the minimum wage is more frustrating because um, um, progressives, black progressives, uh, $15 an hour, $20 an hour, um, that is a racial justice issue for them. But all you have to do is, is look at what the apartheid government did. They passed a, a huge minimum wage because they didn't want black people taking white jobs. Yep. That's it. Um, why can't we get anyone to see that? It's
1: a, it's a difficult thing and it's hilarious because it happened in America too. You know, when you look at the Bacon Davis Act and you know, the minimum wage that they wanted to press, it wasn't, it wasn't just black people. It was also, uh, you know, young people and women, they wanted to price them out of the market too. You had these white union workers and, and what have you. And that's the thing that's possibly the most frustrating because progressives have done a great job. And championing these ideas, but most importantly, presenting them as if it benefits those particular groups, that it actually works to their detriment, not their benefit. And that's what they've been able to do. They've been doing it for years, for decades, long before I was in a lot championing anxiety. Saying, uh, you you know, you will benefit from minimum wage, not really understanding that. No, you will. It's, it's you that's going to, you know, this is why that that correlation exists. When you look at it rising and you look at the rise of black, young, young black unemployment. You know, it goes hand in hand with the rise of of minimum wage. So, you know, if people understood it and didn't really go based off of rhetoric, rhetoric of this politician, I think we'd be in a lot better of a of a situation in terms of a world or this country or or anything like that. But they do a good job because it is just based on rhetoric and they say, hey, this will benefit you damn be what the evidence says don't don't even pay attention to that this is going to benefit you and you are going to become more prosperous uh if we pass these sort of laws that have been a detriment you talked about marriage lies there's so many different things that we could discuss that progressives now champion minimum wage may be the most rotten but they they champion if you look at the history of, of, of even those being implemented even in this country you look at how they use, you know, we talk about minimum wage, and minimum wage is a freaky thing because almost everywhere that it had been implemented, it was for that that exact reason. You had South Africa, uh, Australia did the same thing, trying to price out uh, Asian immigrants. Same exact thing. And it happened out there, uh, ha- Happened, excuse me, here in, in, in America. So these are rotten ideas, and this is why I'm so amped up when I get to talking about this sort of stuff, because it is something that obviously destroys not only my communities, but communities that... Uh, are around not just this country but this entire world. Look at the history of minimum wage, it's a freaky thing.
0: Yeah, it it sort of begs the question. I just made the argument that most people don't think about the world through economic principles and they and you know they they sort of use their emotions to say people should make more money and I'm like, yes, they should. Yeah. But the people that implemented these policies were not ignorant of economics. They not knew exactly what they were doing. So sometimes you have to parse like who's making a mistake? and who has good intentions, and I believe absolutely there are people on the left that, that fall mm-hmm. into that category, and, and versus who is knows exactly what they're doing, and they're using it as a way to hold certain people down, but also to, to keep us divided so that we're fighting with each other. Because if we're fighting, we're probably not thinking clearly about, about who's doing what to who. Uh,
1: that's what they want the most, right? I mean, like, to, to sit here and try to have that divide exist, and they want all the heat off of them, and they wanted it, it. It's like you get. I was watching this uh, some video that it popped up on my timeline not too long ago about someone. It was out. I can't know. Remember, it was a Walmart. Some bullcrap math stuff. And this guy like dumps this thing on the on this guy. Uh, that yeah, Doesn't have yeah, his mask. Yeah. And and uh, you know the the guy that uh, uh, tweeted it uh, said like this is what they do. Like they don't have to come for you. They get you to turn on your 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 fellow citizen. If you will, and it's it's so true and it's so effective in which they'll rather have us going at each other's necks, not understanding that they're the ones with the power and they're the ones that are implementing these policies. This is why they pay so much attention to the the rhetoric that they use and you you speak to a great point when you say that some of these guys know exactly what they are doing. And this is why I say that sometimes look, We go talk about this whole pandemic thing, it's a difficult thing for people to try to digest that so many people are making the wrong decision. Mm -hmm. Right. And sometimes there's no rhyme or reason to it. There's no legitimate like actual logic to it. And it's because it's not rooted in that. Sometimes people just are bad. And, and, And unfortunately, a lot of them are in government and we're seeing so many. I mean, just within this last month. From Gavin Newsom to Cuomo, talking about he was going to go see his family. We know Lori Lightfoot, we know Nancy Pelosi, we know the mayor out here in Austin, who had said who was talking, you know, in Mexico or wherever that he's he is. he's hanging out in Cabo lecturing people about how they should stay home. Yeah. The rules don't apply to, to the elites and you should see that play out. And I would think if anything, you'd see that and be like, yeah. okay, maybe we are having uh, the strings pulled here, here on us.
0: It's a, it's a great example. And I, I, I was talking about this on, on the news and why, why it matters yesterday. Um, I used to think that politicians were just covering their asses. Like they, they locked down because they didn't want to get blamed for not taking no. a strong enough position And they didn't know what they were doing, but more is better when it comes to to political fear. Um, The fact that all of these guys are blatantly and consciously ignoring their own rules, Gavin Newsom goes to the French Laundry after he prohibits anyone else from going to a restaurant, um, tells me that they don't believe... That lockdowns actually work because if it's dangerous to go to a restaurant, you're not taking your family to a restaurant.
1: Definitely you're in that gonna, position, you're protect right? No, them. that that's exactly what it is. Like if if, if they feared I mean and the funny <laughs> thing about that one was uh, with Gavin Newsom the fr- there were like hospital like execs or, or whatever, like people that are actually in the medical industry that were also at present at that at that deal. And then I believe like they said like three days later. Or, or something or the next day the mayor of San Francisco was at the same spot having i think the next day bans like outdoor dining or, or yeah. indoor dining or whatever or whatever it was like if they believed that any of this was as deadly as what they want you to believe they wouldn't be doing any of this and they have the resources if they want To sit there and hide the bunker, if that's uh, what they wanted to do, they're getting paid off by you know by the taxpayer. If that's something that they wanted to do more than anything, those elites can do that, but they choose not to. Gavin Newsom, he exempts the entire, the people that have been lecturing you the most, stay at home, wear a mask, uh, this, this, the the entertainment elites says, hey guys, you guys are exempt from these restrictions. So these fools are shooting movies and and commercials and all sorts of stuff.
0: They would not be doing that if they thought that uh, it was that different. Yeah, I think it's funny that the movie industry is considered essential in California. (laughs) and It it probably is for their tax base.
1: Yeah, uh, it also is to to sort of regurgitate that narrative because again, they give them the marching orders, and then they use their platform to sit here and lecture everybody, say, go home or stay home, don't do anything. It's very easy for them to say it because, again, the rules don't apply to them. They know that, and they, they knew that long ago. It's like, well, we just—when when Gavin, like, when he apologizes, he's not apologizing because he was genuinely sorry. He's apologizing because he got caught,
0: Yeah, and that's it. Yeah, Which, which gets to that question of power, and I want to go back to Walter Williams, his one— his one of his favorite arguments is it's very productive, provocative, um, in mainstream media. But I remember him um, teaching this again and again when I had him as a professor way back in the 1980s, long before Barack Obama was president. He argued that for the black community, um, getting political power was not going to help. In fact, it might actually undermine the cause of 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 the prosperity and and opportunities for for that community. And, and he go, he, and more recently he would go on and point to, you know, black governors, black mayors, went to the mayor of Chicago. How's it working out for the black community in Chicago? Uh, They're doing worse off. Right. I
1: mean, and that's, that's why Walter was such a genius, but you have to understand what it is that he had been saying. And, and and obviously this coming from more of that anarcho-capitalist, I've been trying to tell people like, Thinking political power was going to get anybody out of these situations, you're sadly mistaken because it's often them that got you in the situation. Yeah, You know, certainly in a, or at minimum, they want you to be down. When we talk about despair and we talk about these black communities, like you think about everything that they campaign on locally, statewide, federally, they generally campaign on your despair. It's like, I'm going to help you. You are struggling. It's They have absolutely nothing else um, aside from that. So it's actually almost encouraging for them.
0: And, and those other people are holding you down.
1: Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. You know, it, it's like they, they want you to still be in that position because they have nothing else in the event that that, that happens. But when it comes to the power specifically, and that's been the uphill battle for myself, um, and I know a lot of guys, be it, you know, uh, brothers who are libertarian or what have you, let's say non leftists, who un- understand that the government power is not going to be the way that we rise out of you know be whatever situation you're in let's say boost yourself into prosperity that's not going to be the way that it's that that that's going to happen and it sucks because you have this big wave of black leftists and progressives who sit here and that's what they campaign on. It's like, we need to have political power and then we'll be able to get this, 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 and that. And it's like, that's not the issue. We're seeing now more than ever, a lot of people to be putting in positions, uh, uh state and local wise, uh, federally as well that are black folks and still the problem is, is a problem. In a lot of cases it's worse than what it was. So my whole thing has been to try to get that community, among others, not to look at that as a thing, as a solution. Right. Or looking to for someone to save you, which is the, the thing that I sort of um, I really cherish because it's like I don't want to have this approach in which I need someone else's world to or need someone else to move my world if I have the capacity to move it for me. And that's a very liberating thing. That's yeah. a very empowering thing, yeah. but that's not what they want. They, yeah. don't, they don't want that. They'd rather have you dependent. They'd rather have you uh, dependent on more so them to move your world for you. And they even demonize those of us who have been able to get out of our situations Um, I I grew up in the same, I'm from South Dallas, Mocliffe, Texas, man. I'm 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 from the same single-parent home. I'd been there, done that. did the same thing. And I was getting into some situation that I.
0: Same thing Walter went through. Yeah, exactly.
1: You know, same scenario. And I'm where I'm at right now, but it's not because I had, you know, someone that needed to physically pull me from it. It's more so into to the words of like the Walter E. Williams of the world, the ec- a- a- economists of the world, the people who talk about self-empowerment, and then looking at all the opportunities that I have and then taking advantage of those. That's something that is very scary to those guys because then we wake up to the con game.
0: Yeah. So I, I, I am a libertarian that that personally does not tolerate racism. And mm. I, I point to one of my intellectual heroes, Ayn Rand, who said— Racism is the, is the most uh, primitive uh, form of collectivism. Um, but Walter was more provocative than that. He's like, I don't really care if you're a racist. <laughs> and this, this, gets, this gets to his point about if you leave me alone, and even if I'm surrounded by racists who don't want me to succeed, I have the tools, I have the ability to work hard, I have the ability to rise up. And, and he, you know, to his dying day was like, um, I'm not interested in any legislation outlawing racism, demanding that, that we not be racist. He just said, leave me alone and it will take care of itself, which is why he didn't think that electing Barack Obama would make things better for black folk. It's just why he made that argument. Um, and he's funny. He was such a feisty, stubborn He was libertarian when it came to someone else trying to tell him how to live his life. But if if you got to hang out with him, he's the most generous guy in the world. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome.
1: Awesome, man. But, you know, his approach to racism has been mine, obviously, as well. You know, it's why I always say the racism without statism is nothing more than a bad idea, because that's generally what it is. You know, I will objectively even Walter would say, you know, it's like racism, of course, is an unfavorable thing. But I'm not in the business of policing people's thoughts or anything like that. And I don't really care, to be honest, Uh, only until it it manifests itself in ways of aggression. And that's a problem. Uh, But that's what historically has happened in this country where you look at Jim Crow laws or slave codes and black codes or anything like that. Like that's what they were like. It was state based and state endorsed and sanctioned racism, not just. People saying that they like, cause think about it. Like, what does that mean if someone doesn't? They, they feel some kind of way about me being black? I don't care. Like, what it is, what it is. Now, if you want to, like, let's say, try to put your hands on me or something because I'm black. That's a that's a totally different problem. So, of course, same thing, whether it be with the Civil Rights Act or anything like that, they, they think you'd be surprised. Guys like Walter e. Williams and myself who aren't uh, we're not for that. Like, I don't want you to have to force someone to hold hold my hand. Like even the great Malcolm X will say that, you know, it's like if uh, one of his greatest quotes to me, is he say, if a white person puts his hand around me voluntarily, that's brotherhood. But if you force him to put his arm around me, that's hypocrisy. And that's sort of the, the the life that I live and how I approach racism. And I know a lot of folks, even some of these guys who call themselves leftists that, that are libertarians, left libertarians or whatever they call themselves, get upset because I don't foam at the mouth at this concept of, of, of racism. You don't. That's not anything that I lead with or anything like that. I just generally don't care because ultimately it comes back to the aggression. And if that if it manifests itself in those ways, yes, yes. But simply thinking, how, oh, I got a big nose or something like that, I don't care. Like, that doesn't impact me. And I actually feel that's liberating uh, for me as, as an individual to walk that w- route, you know, in terms of my life. Because it's like, dude, you don't have any power over this just because you feel some kind uh, uh, kind of way. But, you know, that's more so been the approach with myself. I know Walter has a very, very similar thought. A lot of what I picked up came from from him and how he, he approached so, sort of racism in that in that regards, and he he looks at it. He you know he's he's obviously way older than I was or I, I am, and he's experienced. He lived through those times, like actual like more status based aggression through through the, He lived through all of those times, and he's coming out saying what it is that he that he he is saying, and there's a reason for that. And again, the people should pay attention to it.
0: Did you get a chance to talk to him about how his Attempts to translate economics into English translated into your attempts to translate these principles into music.
1: Absolutely. Like that was one of the main things that I talked to him about. It was like seeing him and, and him make sense of it all. Right. In economics, this is what some of the greatest econo- economists that have ever existed were able to do. I don't even know if Henry Hazlitt even had like an economics degree. If I was, if I was
0: mistaken, no, I think he was a journalist. Yeah, yeah,
1: you know, and but you know he breaks it down for the common man to understand. It's what the greatest guys were able to do. So what happens is you get you pick it up, and once you pick it up, you don't have to be this uber professional like a career academic to understand the, the this stuff. And that was a huge inspiration for me, and why I wanted to utilize my music. As a means to do that, because I feel like if I can cut this communicative ice is more so what I refer to it, that I need to break. And with us, with Backwards or even the band that I was in previously, I mean, on my way out, one of our the last song was called The Capitalist. When I left my my other band and some of you know who I am, you know who that what that band was. But I look at it in a sense that if I can get you to digest it, enjoy it, something that you're familiar with. Then you start to pay attention to the other things. And I cannot tell you the amounts of people that have come up to myself or Alex, the other uh, hardcore end cap in the band, and, and they come up to us after shows and they're like, yeah, man, like I didn't even understand this concept until I watched a video by you after hearing the music. And I was like, this is a very interesting guy. Um, well, I read the lyrics and I was like, what do you mean? I mean, yeah, I have a you know song called, you know, uh, Praxeology, you know, and stuff like that. They want to know what that stuff means. But first and foremost, it was it was presented to them in a way that they understood as something that they enjoyed. And that was my that's that's. Been what I'm trying to do now, what I will continue to do because I believe that's what I'm here to do and that I have these other subcultures that I'm involved in. You see me talk about the comic book stuff as well. That's a big thing in which I'm utilizing that as a means to break that ice and get people to understand it because unfortunately, definitely when it comes to ec- uh, economics and libertarianism, a lot of folks don't understand what it is. They think they understand it and quite often they got it from. Uh, someone that straw manned to death. So sure. to be able to just present it in a way that they can digest it and most definitely like it was very important to me. And this is why I said I always that the music came first. A lot of people ask me about that. And I'm like, well, we were the best at what we what we did. You're not going to find another one of me a guy that could do all the things that I did. I perfected that craft um, to be a decent MC uh, while also being able to scream, while also being able to sing and do all that, writing all of this music. Like That was what we perfected. We had all came from semi-successful bands before we formed what it was that we did. Alex is a, a vocalist. I put him next to anybody else that you that you want to put in, in a sing-off. Of I'm taking Alex all the time. And the reason being is because that's what came first. And once you put it in their, in their face in a way that they can understand it, you'd be surprised how much people will li- then listen to it because quite often that's what
0: it takes. So you've been, uh, let's talk about music um, and, and when you think you can get out on the road, but you just released a, a video the other day. I mentioned it earlier. Tell me about that because that's, that's straight up rap.
1: Yeah, straight up rap. It's first straight up rap project that I've probably done in like a decade, like at least, I mean, maybe more than that. Um, because I pretty much, when I turned 20, it was more so just straight up metal, uh, for the most part. And then like we do it backwards, we'll make some rap elements. Uh, but we figured, you know, we'd already owed our fans a free mixtape. We, I had said I was going to do this for a while, but now the timing is just perfect because this is something that people I know want. Uh, so I released the song, first song off the mixtape, which will be out very soon. Uh, the song is called Brainlit. It's already available on all major digital platforms, so you can listen to that. But that was the whole idea uh surrounding it. Is that we we can't move. Uh we got it. we want to give them something, which is why, you know, first we, re- we released the Great Equalizer, which was a, a bonus track, really. It's not going out on the album. It just didn't make the first one. And then we released this, which is going to be part of a larger project in uh called the rap circle is the name of the mixtape. That'll be straight up rap. Uh, there's no rock or anything like that. A lot of folks want to hear me just spit again, and that's for them. So people that know me as Ripper, know me growing up, coming up in the game as Ripper, they'll enjoy that. But also those who want to hear more, more of what I got to offer in that element, um, that's what we're gonna do. And I can do that at the comfort of my my own studio and just give them them something to kind of hold them off until hopefully next year we
0: can get back on the road. So the whole the whole studio thing is probably. Um, lockdowns forcing you to innovate. Is-
1: oh, I mean, I would say, look, that has to be the silver lining in all this. I just, it's funny, we talked, I talked to Phil Abonte of All That Remains, big yeah. good, good friend of mine, um, and had it on, on my show on Four and Sake, and we were talking about that. We were talking about the challenges that this has, uh, you know, really created among a lot of musicians in our, in our genres. And you know him, now he's on Twitch doing this thing and it's forcing people to like, and he was talking about how well, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to learn, I wanna learn how to use Pro Tools, um, like to the best of my ability. So they could be able to basically record, maybe even mix and master their own music and stuff and, you know, be more independent in, in, in that regards. It's forcing us, and that's the one thing this pand- pandemic is forcing us to do, and it's funny how humans work, isn't it? You, you create a problem, they come up with a solution. And we've been able to sort of navigate in these very creative ways. So from my studio or the things that I'm doing, a lot of that was, even with 4 Cannon's sake, you know, moving to a daily, like one of the best decisions I've made, it was a stressful one, but it was one of the better decisions I've, I've made because the numbers are reflective of that but just giving you the kick in the behind to do something. Yeah. Do something and yeah. start taking your life in, in your own hands. We're seeing a lot of innovation. We're seeing people rethink how they entered the deals that they've in, uh, entered, which is what I've always wanted the music industry to do. Uh, more particularly, our genre, because I think we get the brunt of like these sort of rock uh, genres because we're so dependent on touring. And um, I, I want people to pay more attention to the deals that they're getting into. And you're starting to see all of that because they're really taking a hit because of it. So that's the silver lining in it all that is forcing people to be innovative with how they record music and, and the deals that they, they actually have within the music that they make.
0: Yeah. And how, how you make a living. Cause it, it, it's interesting to watch. Um, I mean, first of all, just musicians are just hurting right now because particularly startup musicians, you know, you're not going to make any money off of Spotify unless yeah. you're Taylor Swift. Yeah. And you Know touring and merch was, was probably the lifeblood of the industry, and I, I love how it was democratized. Like, you, you didn't have a record label deciding that the Rolling Stones get the contract, yeah, everybody had it. But they've it's, it's like everything else in this lockdown, it, it does create haves and have nots. Um, Taylor Swift is fine, no one's worrying about her. Mm-hmm. I'm not worrying about her. Um, I don't even like her music, so <laughs> definitely not worrying about her, but but uh. You know, the, the startups and, and there's like haves and haves not. Gavin Newsom can hang out on his mansion, he's fine. Um, people that have to go to work at a bar, they're not fine. And, but for you and I, we're, we're sort of haves in this process because um, we happen to be in industries that um, are largely digital. Yeah. And, and my team works remotely always has, and you know, we, we do gather sometimes to film stuff, but um, we just started producing a lot of stuff. And part of it, I was, I was pissed off. I was pissed off about the lockdowns, and, and just a lot of our stuff was that, but um, I'm now to the point where we've really changed our business model, because I don't think this is going away anytime soon. No. I used to give a lot of public talks, um, I'm just assuming that in 2021 I'm not going to do that. So I got other projects cooking, and that that's what you're doing. I think that's cool.
1: Most definitely. That's what you have to do. You have to make an adjustment in that you know how we thought that we were going. Man, this year went absolutely nothing according to plan. I'm like, yeah, we're going to drop the second album. Everybody's going to be stoked. We're going to be back on the road. We're going to be performing in front of you guys. Didn't happen. None of that happened. So we had to make uh, adjustments and big ones. Um, and I did uh, because that's a big part of, of who who it is. That, now, yes, I have other things that I do, but the music is that's my baby, you know, yeah. and, and I want to be able to do that. And I couldn't. So what I had to do was adjust everything else, because from a livelihood standpoint, I still got to wake up. I still got to put food on the table. I still got to eat. Um, so and I was able to do that. And I was able to do that because the, it, it forced me to either speed up some things that I was putting off or or just come up with new sort of ideas and ways to do things because you have to, you have to. And the unfortunate thing is that a lot of guys. That's all they had, you know, was music. Like some, for believe it or not, for some people, that is their job. Mm-hmm. Getting on the road is their job. Like that, that's their job. They don't make money from the record because they ended some crap deal. So all they have,
0: is, or, or, or to make money, and all and all of that community that supports the live acts. Yes, I mean there's it, a whole infrastructure. Exactly,
1: bingo, exactly. And then you did, again, go back to so like the venues and stuff like that. Them, them, two I, mean, I hate reading these stories of venues not getting out on the other side. It's so like we're closing. Uh, for good. We, we tried to do maybe, you know, make try to make us into like this restaurant thing, but they couldn't do it, you know, and I hate hearing stories like that. And I'm blessed enough to have had my ducks in a row to where I was able to do other things uh, that were lucrative, uh, probably more lucrative than anything else right now. You know, definitely because a lot of people want to hear my big head talk about stuff. But for a lot of people, that's not the luxury that they have. But that's why it's so easy for them. It goes back to what we are talking about earlier. It's so easy for them to sit up here and tell you to shut down because they are going to generally be fine. So it's not even anything worth taking serious when you hear Gavin Newsom or or any, uh, you know, politician or actor, actress, entertainer that is rich beyond reason. Uh, it, it, it doesn't matter when it comes from them because they're going to always be fine. It's the other folks, the peasants that they want following those rules, that it doesn't work like that because you have jobs and you got to put food on the table.
0: And that, you know, your story sort of represents the, you know, there's to go back to these two principles, power and knowledge. Um, you can't fix a problem if people aren't free to innovate. You know. And confront roadblocks and say, wow, I can't do that anymore. And it might be an exogenous thing like a virus. It might be a government thing. Um, it, it might be anything. But if people aren't free to sort of figure it out and come up with a different game plan, um, everything stops. And that's, I think that's the mistake we're making now. How do people check out your new video and your podcast? How do we get more Eric July?
1: Man, for canon's sake, Dot com. Of course, I'm on Twitter, at Eric D. July. but 4CanonSake.com, you can listen to the podcast. Uh, we're live um, every every day around 12 p.m. noon Central with 4 sake So if you want to catch it live, go to my YouTube, which is YouTube.com slash wild U-N-G-R-I-P-B-A, the number five and the number nine. Um, and, yeah, that's where, where we're putting out all that material, but you, of course, can get everything at EricDJLive.com, uh, everything from the podcast the music. If you want to my band, backwards, B-A-C-K-W-O-R-D-Z, a uh, bunch of music videos on all major digital platforms, so if you just go to my website, you'll be able to get to all that stuff.
0: And you're a regular on Blaze TV?
1: Yes, of course, you can catch me on Blaze all the time throughout the week, uh, News and Why it Matters, everything.
0: We are the resident libertarians. Yes, it's,
1: we are the it, resident libertarians. It's nice to have two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, and where do I get that sweet sweatshirt? Oh,
1: man, uh, believe it or not, I got, I got hooked up for this, so but you can go to my merch. I have a lot of limited time stuff. If you go to my merch, if you go to uh, ericdjuly.com, and click on the merch or slash, slash merch. You can get access to all that. Merch.com, I think it's, excuse me, like merch.ericdjuly.com. You can get all kinds of stuff. We got taxation stuff, stuff all kinds of stuff there if you want to rock that stuff out.
0: Cool, I'm looking forward to seeing some live music soon. Oh man, hopefully we can get back on the road, man. Thanks. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to Kibbe on Liberty. Be sure to subscribe and rate the podcast. Your ratings will help us reach even more people with our mostly honest conversations with mostly interesting people.